the name I go by, and that's the whole story. Some of you know me by Robert, and that's fine. Um, yeah, I'm here with Jenny. Uh, we live in Sacramento. I'm the international director of AIM, Africa Inland Mission. We served in Africa, in Comoro Islands, in Djibouti, and in a mysterious place called the Horn of Africa uh, for about 20 years uh, before I became the director of AIM. We were in England for a while doing that, and now we do that from our home in Sacramento, California. So we're, uh, we're pretty local, so I'm always happy to come up here and thank you for the invitation. Um, AIM really wants to do three things. One is directly engaging with unreached people groups in Africa. The second is to help train African church leaders. The third is to help mobilize African missionaries. So that's basically what we're about. And that's the organization that, that I lead by God's grace. Um, we are thankful to this church. You've, uh, you've stood with us for uh, more than 30 years in supporting us and praying for us. We've got about two years left, uh, I, I think, um, in this role, certainly two more years. Um, and uh, we'll see after that. So, Okay, I'm going to pray one more time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak here. Thank you for this church, and I pray blessing on it and on our time together now. May we honor Jesus Christ and encourage and challenge each other. In Jesus' name, amen. We, I was in Peoria, Illinois last week. Um, we have a lot of connections there, and we're there for a memorial service for one of our missionaries who died at age 106. That's not bad, huh? Yeah. Um, and in order to fly back home, for some reason, we had to fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then fly back home. Somebody's happy. And then fly back here. Um, it's really it's painful to be flying the wrong way on an airplane. In any event, we got on the plane in Charlotte, and we were fine. And um, 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 I was in the middle seat. My wife was in the aisle. And then uh, so you're sitting there, and hoping and praying sometimes that no one comes takes the window seat. But uh, somebody did, uh, and it was a very big man uh, with a big beard. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was even bigger than yours. Um, I, 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 we, I ride airplanes a lot, and this is the airplane is actually like the one place where I can meet new people, um, where I can connect with, uh, especially non-believers, with people uh, that... Uh, don't know Jesus Christ. And so I often I will pray and ask for an opportunity uh, the Lord would give me to, to speak with the person. Um, I don't want to sit there and Bible bash a guy for five hours from Charlotte to Sacramento. Um, and he was a really big, kind of scary looking guy too. So um, in any event, 
um, I pray and ask the Lord to give me a chance to share my faith on those planes. Um, most of the time. Sometime, if I'm quite honest, I just want to like catch up on my emails and not engage with anybody. Um, and so sometimes that's more how I am. But typically, what I do is I talk to people. Um, somebody told me there was a study once. I don't know how you do this kind of study, but said if you don't talk to the person sitting next to you on the airplane in the first 90 seconds of sitting down, then you will not speak to him or her the whole flight. Which, that's kind of our experience. You know, really, if you don't make that connection right away, then it's just kind of awkward in the middle of the flight to start talking to the person. So I always just say, okay, hi, how are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And just casual conversation like that. And just kind of see where it goes. Um, and sometimes it doesn't go anywhere, and people put their earbuds in, and we're done. Uh, and, but sometimes it goes a little further, and then typically we might talk about, okay, what do you do, what's your, what's, what's your job, and then I have an opportunity to say what I, I, I direct a mission agency, and then sometimes that will lead to a, a question I can, if they're interested in any way, I can say, oh, well, do you come from a faith tradition, and are you part of any kind of church? And, uh, and then we see where that goes. Um, and sometime again, it doesn't go anywhere, but sometime it does. Um, this trip, uh, the man who sat next to me was a very friendly man right from the beginning, but no obvious connection and no obvious direction to go. Um, and then he started, you know, watching something on his phone. So it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, but later in the trip, and almost when we were landing, um, the Lord gave me a, an opportunity, he, and I asked him if he saw any good movies, and he asked me what I was doing, and I, I'm just working, he asked me what I did, and there we are. And then um, and it turned out he was a, uh, some kind of Catholic, but just seemed to be increasing in his interest spiritually. And so for the last couple of minutes, we had a nice conversation, and I gave him a, a Gospel of John, which I have with me, and another little tract which I have and um, so I thank the Lord the Lord gave me that opportunity even at the end of our flight I was happy for that but I also thought you know if I'd been a little more assertive I might have been able to have a much more serious conversation with that man um, because he certainly seemed open and I didn't discover that till the end of the flight I'll come back to that later Um, let's go to the scripture and what I'll do with this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, um, I'll read this verse by verse. I'll give you the briefest of commentaries. Um, this is a magnificent passage um, and a wonderful explanation and summary of the gospel. And this could be a whole week of sermons, and I won't do it justice because um, we're really talking about outreach today. Um, but I'll briefly touch on it, and because our key verse for the message is verse 10, and that was what was suggested in the book, if some of you are reading that book uh, with, what's it called? Walking with Jesus on Mission, okay. Anyway, it was, it was a verse um, that they brought up in um, the, the chapters there. Um, so, we'll just go verse by verse. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul's very clear. You You were dead. Sin brought death, just like with Adam. Yes, you were alive, but you were destined to die. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, spiritually dead, separated from God. In which you used to live 
When you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. Yeah, it gets worse. He says, this is, you were dead because of the way that you used to live. Yeah, and you were following the ways of this world. Okay, the world leads us astray. That's what you were doing. And worse than that, you were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a, the that's a way Paul refers to Satan. You were, you were following the ways of this world. You were following the evil one. You were his captives. You were his prisoners. That is what you were doing. Um, the spirit who is now at work, not in us, but in the sons of disobedience in those who are disobedient, the people all around us, we see the effects of Satan. And Paul says, that's the way you were. Okay, that's the way we all were. He goes through his own um, testimony in another place, but this he's talking about all the Ephesian Christians. Okay, he says, all of us also, myself included, lived among them at one time. Okay, lived in the world, following the evil one, and um, following, uh, sorry, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. Okay, have you heard that somewhere before? World, flesh, devil, you got them all here. You're following the ways of the world, you're following the evil, evil one, and you're following the cravings of your own flesh, your own sinful nature. Okay, following its desires and thoughts. Okay, okay I. I became a Christian a long time ago when I was like 19, but I still remember very clearly what it was like to follow the ways of the world and the flesh. And I was not aware that I was following the ways of the devil, but I certainly was. Um, and I, did, I have not forgotten that in my flesh still. The world and the flesh still give us pretty regular reminders about what it's like to follow in that direction. He says, we, or like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It says children of wrath in other versions. Okay, that was our destiny. We were deserving of wrath because of our sins. And this was the direction we were going, in the direction of God's wrath. Paul paints the most dismal of pictures of humanity and what we were all part of. And then there's this great but... But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, not begrudging, not forced, not obligated, not, he is not miserly in his mercy. He is rich in mercy. God, who is rich in mercy. Why? Because of his love for us, not because of anything good in ourselves, not because we were lovely in any sense of the word, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive. It says in Romans, he calls into being things that are not. He made us alive. And we all, you know, we talk about giving our testimonies and we say, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. And that's really good. But in the end, the testimony is that God made me alive. I was dead in my transgressions. God put new life into me. And sometimes we can explain how it happens, but a lot of time we can't, right? John chapter 3, the wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it's coming, where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. That's the way it is of being born of the Spirit. Okay, God made us alive. 
And he says, gives us a little preview of the end. He says, by grace you have been saved. Yeah. God's intervention. God raised us up. Okay, we, he made us alive and he raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That has already happened. We are already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I know you're seated here in Nevada City in nice comfy chairs, but positionally, your seat is reserved in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's like you're already there, even though we're here in Nevada City. Okay, we're seated in the heavenly realms. Why? Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages. I thought of that just this morning. I mean, we've seen this before. In the coming ages, when we go to heaven, when we're together with the Lord. Okay, fine. There are blessings that begin here. There are blessings that begin in our lives here. And he's revealing some of that. But this is just any blessing we have in Christ here. It's just a tiny taste of what we are going to experience when we are in his presence. Okay. He says, in the coming ages, he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace. That's why he did it. Because he's going to show us this. In the next world, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's always in Christ Jesus that these things have happened. For, now the verses we all know, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace through faith, just a great thing to hold on to. Grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even that faith with which you believe is a gift of God. It's all by grace. Not by works, not by anything we do. We do good works, it's important, it doesn't save us, okay, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's our key verse, I'll come back to that, okay. So, got two things I need to come back to, I've promised, verse 10. Some of you are reading this book. Okay, I'm just kind of doing abrupt transitions today, joining Jesus on his mission. Uh, Mike sent me the couple chapters you were supposed to read, uh, and I read them. It was funny because they came in sideways on my computer, and I, I, for the life of me, I could not figure out how to flip that PDF, so I was holding it like this, reading the book. But they were short chapters. Um, I like this book, by the way. It was very practical and very encouraging. I liked it. If you're not reading the book, I encourage you to do it. Um, some good ideas in this book. Um, the, t- the first chapter we were supposed to read was called Talking with People. Okay? Some of the key points that the author made. I like this. Jesus can do more with two people who are talking with each other than two people who are ignoring each other. Okay? That's, that's a good quote. That's, that's, it's really true, too, isn't it? Yeah. Do we consider that it might be the Lord who is bringing us in contact with these random people that we see day to day? Do we ever think that, actually, it might be the Lord who is bringing me to this person or bringing this person to me? Whether these are people we only see once or whether these are people we see on a regular basis that we don't really connect with. Maybe the Lord is the one who is working to make that connection happen. We hear stories of chance one-time encounters, and sometimes those are inspiring stories, right? Uh, That's fine. 
But the author is really talking about people that we come in contact with on a regular basis. Might be someone who works at the hardware store, might be a neighbor. Might... We have these people that we know by face, we probably don't even know their names, that we encounter on a regular or semi-regular basis. And he's really talking about engaging with those people, and we don't even think about talking with them. Yeah. And he says, since we see them regularly, we don't have to be in a hurry. We can establish a relationship slowly with these people. Uh, Being on mission with Christ, he says, is not just for extroverts. You might think, yeah, well, that's fine for people who who have the gift of gab and can easily talk. But he says, if you're shy, it's not so hard. What we do is we ask questions. What's your name? What do you do? Tell me about your family. We learn about other people. So you don't have to be an extrovert. God's mission is not just for extroverts. It's for all of us. Yeah. Does talking with people guarantee something spiritual will happen? No, often it won't. But not talking guarantees that nothing will happen. That's another good quote, right? Nothing's going to happen spiritually between us if we, don't even, if we don't even begin the conversation. The author here is not even talking about sharing our faith with these people. It's really just about engaging with people and connecting with people like I try to do on airplanes But these contacts and the relationships that flow out of them will often lead to deeper things. But we have to start. We have to start just like those first 90 seconds on the airplane or somewhere else where you are. We have to start if we hope anything spiritual is going to come along at some point. Next chapter, doing good, he follows this up. And this is where the verse comes from. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of the points, again, he talks about random acts of kindness or uses that term. Uh, He says they don't have to be random acts with strangers. That's fine if you have a chance to do good to some stranger. Do it. That's a good thing. But he says these can be planned acts of kindness. With friends, family, neighbors, and that's probably going to be more effective if we've actually thought through what we want to do to bless somebody. It doesn't have to be random acts of kindness. It can be planned acts of kindness with people we know. And he says there's nothing random about this with the Lord. What is the Lord planning through these good works that we might do, ways to serve people? There's nothing random about that. He quotes Mother Teresa. She says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. It's good. It's really good. It's not just about doing things for others, he says, but it is missionally powerful, he says, to allow other people to do things for us. That makes just as much of a connection with people, allowing people to serve us and do good for us. In our culture, he points out, words do not mean much. We tend not to believe what people say an awful lot of the time, with good reason. Um, But we need good acts and good deeds to show the truth of our faith. Okay, I think that's true. Mind you, um, he doesn't say this, but I will. Good works are not enough to proclaim the gospel. Let's be clear about that. Okay, the Bible says faith comes through hearing, hearing by the word of God. We need to speak if the gospel is going to be transmitted. Okay, acts of kindness are good, but they are not enough to bring the gospel to somebody. But they pave the way for that, and they validate and verify and give opportunities for our faith.
And then there's a wonderful story of a football player, an autistic girl. And if you haven't read the book, I'm just not going to tell you the story. But it's a story that he says brought tears to everyone's eyes in the audience. And reading it, honestly, it brought a little tear to my eye too. So I'll just leave that as a teaser for you. If you don't have the book, it's a very touching story in there. Okay. As I read these chapters, I thought, this is really good, but what about the role of prayer in all of this, in these acts of kindness and speaking with people? What about the role of prayer? And what about the role of walking in step with the Holy Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance as we interact with either these random people or people that we do encounter on a regular basis? Okay, I have, maybe those are the next chapters. They may well be. Uh, if we're walking with Jesus in mission, then certainly it's going to be about prayer and walking with the Holy Spirit. So I expect that's going to be in the book somewhere. Um, but just to talk about that, walking with him in the role of prayer, if we are prayerful and asking the Lord to do things and seeking to walk in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, he will often bring people to us. And that's my experience. If I am actively wanting to engage with people and seeking to do good and praying that he will do that, well, often he does. Not always, but often he does. And sometime on the airplane, again, that's my example. If I'm, really, if I'm on the airplane, I say, Lord, I really want you to use me today on this airplane. Please give me an opportunity. Very often he does. And if I, if I really don't want that, then I probably won't have that opportunity. Okay. Maybe the Lord knows I need to catch up on my emails, and that's fine. But, but, uh, so we, but if, we're, if we're walking around the world actively praying, actively seeking to be guided by the Holy Spirit, that just enhances the whole thing. Okay. Another key point from the book is that don't forget that God is at work in people And this is something I really learned from the book. But just to have that perspective that what is God doing in that person that I encounter randomly? What is God doing in that person? God is at work in many people around us. He reigns over all. He's working in us. He's working in the people around us. And he is often intersecting us, bringing us together for our good and for the extension of his kingdom and for his glory. So what is God arranging in these encounters that we might not even be thinking about day to day. That was an encouragement for me. Think about Paul and the Philippian jailer. Okay, that wasn't part of Paul's plan, right, to meet the Philippian jailer and everything that happened in that wonderful story in the book of Acts. But, okay, that was probably probably key for the planting of the whole Philippian churches, that Philippian jailer and his family being converted. Um, And That was God's plan. It wasn't Paul's plan. But Paul was praying and walking in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and boom, something like that happens. Yeah, it wasn't part of his strategy. One time for me, I was on an airplane again, and I was talking with the guy next to me, um, and he wasn't too interested, but he was polite. And then uh, I went on, and I saw this lady in the back of the plane, and she was behind me listening the whole time, and she was totally tuned in and wanted to know everything I had to say. So I had a wonderful conversation with her, and the stewardess was then listening, and then she was saying, oh, yeah, amen. She was having a good time there, and I met her in the airport again and talked with her a little more. Okay, that was God's plan, yeah. Not my plan. There's lots of other stories like that that I've had where 
doing something was not part of my strategy. When I lived in Comoro Islands, we lived at the top of a mountain. I'd always stop my car at the bottom and pick people up and carry them and drive them up the mountain. And boy, that just gave me opportunities. Not directly, not with those people, but later on it opened doors for ministry and, and, and chances to share the gospel. It wasn't my ministry strategy to say, I'm going to drive people up the mountain and share the gospel with. That was not my ministry strategy. I was just giving people a ride. Not a big deal, right? But something that God used. It empowered my witness. The Lord is at work. If we are intentional and prayerful, the Lord will give us opportunities and bring people to us. question for me and maybe for you is, do we really want to do this? Or do we just want to get about our business and um, go on with our day? Um, Do I really want to do this? I confess in my role in AIM, um, and I'm extremely busy, um, I bring my computer to parties and family events. I do. I'm such a loser, you know. Just So, like, if I just get a chance, I can sit there and just do some stuff that I I do. Um, I think, boy... But that's, that's how I am. But I can easily lose my missional orientation because I'm so focused on my work that I'm doing for the Lord. But I can, I can easily lose my missional orientation and I can avoid engaging with people. Uh, just let me work. And when I'm done with my work, leave me alone. That can be my attitude. But if that's what it is, I lose my joy And I lose my purpose when I forget that the Lord himself is at work and the Lord is the one bringing these connections. And it is my privilege and blessing to participate if I want to. The Lord doesn't usually force these things on me here. I don't think he generally forces on us. But if we're wanting to engage with people and engage in his kingdom, he brings us opportunities. He intersects us with people. We're missionaries. Is there a difference between the mission like I do with AIM and doing mission right here in your local community, in your neighborhood? In a lot of ways, it's quite similar, actually. Um, My mission is full-time and cross-cultural, but whether we're here in our own community or whether we're going to another country and another people, um, we still need to be praying and thoughtful and strategic in our approach. Want biblical examples? Think about the Apostle Paul again. Clearly, he was following a strategy as he went on his missionary journeys, okay? Going to Cyprus, then to key cities in in Asia Minor, appointing elders, going back and visiting, writing the letters, letting the gospel flow out of the churches in those key cities. He had a strategy. Um, In different places I worked, we had strategies as well. But the Lord doesn't always follow our strategy. So... In following our strategy, we need to be ready for these interruptions. Now, thinking about the second missionary journey when Paul and Silas were trying to go to different places, praying to discern where to go next, and seemingly getting blocked everywhere they wanted to go, well, then they're interrupted by this Macedonian call, this vision or dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Okay. So... Paul's vision, Paul's strategy interrupted by a Macedonian call. My plans were often interrupted by Macedonians as well. Sometimes I found these Macedonians to be quite irritating, but often they opened doors for ministry. And some of my best ministry contacts came out of people, Macedonians, so to speak, who came to me and said, 
I'd like to learn about your faith. So, be willing and wanting to engage. Plan and be strategic. Be in prayer. Be prepared. Expect the Lord to be at work in you and in people around you. Yeah. And be prepared. Like I say, I carry around Gospels of John. Because you can just hand these to people and people almost... No one has ever refused the Gospel of John when I offer it to them. I have a track that I carry too. That's only if I really have a conversation with someone that I'm going to give someone that. But Gospel of John, you can give to almost anybody. Hey, would you like this? Words of Jesus Christ, Gospel of John. Never had people refuse, though they might. Yep. Back to the scripture. Just the last verse. Okay. We are his workmanship created, or sorry, handiwork in this, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay. Yeah. This is a key motivation for doing this kind of missional work, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Nevada City. The fact that we are his workmanship. We serve the Lord and work for him, but ultimately... Now, the workmanship is his. It is not mine. Okay? He is working in my friends. He is working in my family. He's working in neighbors. He's working in random people we meet. And he's working in me. And he is the great matchmaker, bringing people together, intersecting people. I said, too, he's like air traffic controller. But I'm like, no, no, the air traffic controller is trying to keep airplanes apart from each other, not intersecting airplanes, but you get what I mean. He's in control of all these things. We are part of his workmanship as well. We are saved powerfully, majestically, wonderfully. Works do not save us, no matter how many people we share with or how many random acts of kindness we perform. Yeah, but the works flow out of our salvation and our relationship with the Lord. But these works that he gives us to do, it says he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What an amazing thing that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. I know we're created for more than that. We're created for relationship with him and relationship with others. But it specifically says we're created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, before we were saved. God prepared works beforehand that we should do them. Some of these are general works, like participating in church and, and, and loving our neighbors. Some of them are probably very specific works that God has prepared for you and you and you and me. It's an amazing thing to think that God has not only saved me from the wrath I deserve, but also prepared works for me, which will be a blessing to me, to those around me, it will extend his kingdom, it will honor him, will draw me nearer to him. We have the privilege and blessing of walking in these works which God has prepared for us to do. Seek to engage with people in what you say and what you do. Be strategic and spontaneous and be prepared. Be prayerful and spirit-led. Be happy with whatever the Lord brings your way trusting in what he is doing. This is really, really good. It's really good to walk like this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us and that you have prepared good works for us to walk in. 
Oh, Lord, for each one of us, you have good works for us to do. You have people that we can meet. You have prepared people around us. Oh, Lord, would you intersect us with those people? Help us to walk prayerfully and by the Holy Spirit. And would you give us opportunities just to talk and just to do good for people. And we ask you that you would deepen that for your glory and the advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.